welcome to Night and Tales. This podcast was created during the International Year of the Nurse and Nurse Midwife. And what a year that was. This podcast is dedicated to telling stories of nurses from across our profession. Our goal is to introduce you to the seemingly infinite possibilities in nursing and encourage you to find your true passion within this work. I'm your host, Jessica Spruitt, and I'm so glad you're here. Hello there, and thank you for listening to another episode of Night and Tales. I'm glad that you're back to listen to us, and I'm also glad to welcome our guest today. I have Dr. Jim Wyant here with us. Um, and Dr. Wyant is a cardiovascular nurse practitioner at Knox Community Hospital, where he specializes in cardiology and has a really, um, I think, a really unique career trajectory in nursing, has a couple of different advanced practice roles and certifications. And so I'm eager for um, Dr. Wyant to share that information with all of you and to, for you to hear and learn from his journey. So Dr. Wyant, thank you so much for spending your time with us today and for being willing to share your story in nursing. Thank you very much. Glad so, to be here. <laughs> yes, glad to have you. Um, and I think there are some really valuable lessons in, um, in what you've done so far. So without giving that away, I would really appreciate if you didn't mind starting by telling us a little bit about you know, nursing school, where you started in your first job, and then we'll work our way all the way to your current role as a cardiovascular nurse practitioner. Okay. So I have a little bit of a, as you were uh, kindly putting it, a diverse background in nursing. I uh, started out first right out of high school and went to Bowling Green State University and earned a degree in microbiology and chemistry first because I wasn't quite sure exactly what direction I wanted to go. I knew I wanted something science-based. I wasn't really looking at human uh, interaction. I was looking more at straight science type things. And uh, somewhere around the second year, my sophomore year, I started kind of thinking about maybe medical school. I don't know. I, I, it kind of interests me. So I, I kind of continued on through my baccalaureate program. The summers, though, I was in that program, I spent in a the local hospital as a nursing tech and was able to pick up some clinical experience. And that's kind of what, what made me start blooming the idea in my head about doing something human-based. So I continued thinking about medicine, but each summer that I got a little more involved with this hospital, I kind of saw what the physicians did. I saw what the nurses did, um, spent a little bit of time, one of the summers in the intensive care unit, the emergency room areas, and kind of fell like longingly in love with that kind of care. And I thought, wow, these nurses seem to be in control. They seem to really know their stuff. Um, they were right on top of, you know, the patient situations and they, they, they impressed me by seeing how they headed things off before anything even happened. I was like, wow, that's, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I became less and less enamored with what the physicians did because I only saw them a short time. They'd come in, they'd write some orders, they might listen to the heart and then they're gone. And I thought, I really don't want that. I want to be there at the bedside. I want to be one of these. And, and they were all outstanding female role models is what they were. There were no very few males in the profession, at least in the area that I was, you know, the geographical area I was in at that time. So um, these ladies were just outstanding. So I went back. I, unfortunately, I was a senior at that time. And I went and talked to the School of Nursing at Bowling Green. And it would have taken me another three years to get my BSN. And I thought, oh, <laughs> there is no way I'm staying here another three years. So I finished up my degree and I thought, I'll just, you know, my, my degree was in clinical microbiology. So I thought I'll, I'll get a hospital job and a, a lab and, and that'll be good. You know, well, 
1983, not not delaying how old I am, but in 1983, there were very few jobs out there for most of us college graduates. And I went around to multiple hospitals in the Columbus area, in the Cleveland area, the Canton area, and found nothing in the way of jobs open for someone with a degree in microbiology. Most labs wanted a medical technologist who was able to float to all the areas of the lab, not just micros. So I, I wrote to my uh, advisor at Bowling Green and I said, okay, I'm lost. I'm really not sure what I'm doing. I started working as a substitute teacher in the school systems here uh, in my hometown and that, that provided money and I kind of enjoyed the teaching aspect and working with the kids, but I still wanted, wanted the clinical uh, that got in my blood and it never left. So I wrote to my advisor who wrote me a 12 page handwritten letter back. Okay. And she said she was a chemistry professor and she said, um, you know, I've watched you over the years. I know that you gleaned a huge amount of satisfaction from your summer jobs as a nursing tech. And I think you should consider several options. Number one, you could think about medicine, blah, blah, blah. You need to take the MCAT, do these things. Well, I knew that was out right away because I wanted nothing to do with that. Number two, uh, you could consider being a um, physical therapist. That gets you in with patients, yet you're not greatly exposed to diseases, such and such, you know. So uh, then she got down to consider nursing. Since you enjoyed your nursing role in the summers, think about nursing, followed by nurse practitioner or nurse anesthetist education. She said, likewise, you, consider, you could consider physician's assistant education as well. But she said, you seem to be so you know, involved with the nursing aspect that I think that's something viable. So unfortunately, at that time, there were no uh, accelerated degree programs for nurses. So I went back and earned an associate degree so that I could get out in the workforce quicker. Mm -hmm. So I did get an associate degree in nursing and went right into ICU from as a new grad. Uh, myself and another uh, new grad were kind of the guinea pigs for a program at our hospital. And that hospital is actually the one I'm working in now. Oh, wow. <laughs> I started there as a new grad in ICU and uh, had outstanding preceptors. Again, these strong female role models that were uh, oftentimes directing the care in ICU to the point that the cardiologist would pull them aside and say, hey, what do you think's going on? I'm, you know, you've been watching them all day. What's going on? And they actually worked together. So I, I worked there and while I was working there, I went back and earned my bachelor's uh, degree in nursing at Ohio State. And then uh, at that time, the director of nursing's husband was a CRNA, a nurse anesthetist. Kathy said to me one day, you need to talk to my husband because I think you would like that. I always in ICU like the patients and I always kind of fought to take them. The ones that were the sickest, they were on drips, they were on a ventilator, they were maybe had a balloon pump, just all sorts of things. You had to one-on-one -on -one them. She said, I, I know that that's what you like and that's exactly what anesthesia is. So you really need to consider that. So I talked to her husband, he, he didn't have to twist my arm too far. Um, and I, I applied to anesthesia schools. So um, at that time, anesthesia, uh, nurse practitioners and nurse midwives were all professional certificate programs. There were not master's programs at that time. They were postgraduate professional certificates is what they were called. So I uh, actually went through Altman Hospital in Canton's uh, nurse anesthesia program, which was uh, a little over 24 months. I wanna say it was 28 months altogether. Um, it was a great program. I was actually in the last class before they switched to a master's framework at the University of Akron. So lots of experience and that's what was deemed important to me. We had a lot of didactic up front, but then uh, a lot of clinical experience. And 
they had no anesthesia physician residents, so we were the anesthesia residents. We were sent to do everything, trauma call, line insertions, everything. Uh, got great experience, and I came out and continued to work at Altman then for four years, taught uh, a little bit in the anesthesia program at Akron U, and then uh, got the bug to come back home because we had now had two children, and we did not know many people in the Canton area other than our work colleagues, so we wanted to get back closer to family, so I moved back to our home, which is about an hour away from Canton, and I continued to commute there. At that point in time, decided I enjoyed the teaching aspect that I was doing with the anesthesia students. So I went back to Kent State and earned a master's degree in nursing as a clinical nurse specialist because I had no, no real you know, qualms about changing from anesthesia at that time. So earned my master's degree, continued to teach at a college level at a couple different nursing programs for undergraduates while I was working as a CRNA. Um, by this time, I again had moved back home and the opportunity arose for me to work here in my hometown, which is a small hospital, uh, but the anesthesia program, um, I actually worked for them two years and then the gentleman that owned our group just called on a Sunday afternoon and said, hey, I'm uh, turning the group over. I'm not going to continue at Coshocton anymore. I'm getting rid of the contract. So if you guys want to continue working here, you'll have to form your own group or if not, you'll have to find another job. Hey, good talking to you. Bye and hung up on me. So my wife looked at me and said, what's wrong? You look sick. I said, I think I just lost my job. I'm not sure what just happened. Oh my so um, my three colleagues and I got together. We formed our own anesthesia group and uh, we owned the business for about the next 20 years. Um, and it was a very uh, enjoyable experience uh, for the most part. Uh, a lot of work in owning the business, a lot of administrative things that come along with it. And by the end of 20 years of taking call every third night and every second to third weekend and having to do all of the financial aspect of the corporation while my partner did all of the insurance and all the scheduling and all that, um, I was reaching a point where I understood what people were talking about with burnout. So mm -hmm. I thought I can't continue on like this. I'm cranky with my family. I'm tired all the time. I don't feel well. I don't even enjoy what I'm doing anymore. I just I feel like the anesthesia monkey. I just go in and do the same routine over and over. And um, so at that time, I was entertaining the option of getting my doctoral degree. And when I was in my master's program, uh, this new beast rose its head called a DNP. And uh, I was very, very interested in the fact of a clinical doctorate. Uh, so that's the route I chose. I chose Case Western Reserve, which had an outstanding program for a very strong program for clinical doctorate and for research doctorate. So ended up going there to finish my DNP. Again, still struggling with the burnout issue with the anesthesia, but I had two children and a wife and I needed to support and be the breadwinner. So um, that's what I did. During the course of that doctoral program, lots of things happened at our hospital. My partner and I ended up resigning our anesthesia contract at the end of our, our uh, uh, five-year contract. And um, I signed on to work with the new group just as a plain old staff person, which was nice to get rid of <laughs> all of the administrative issues. Right. Again, I um, continued to struggle with that burnout issue. So as I was finishing or working through the DNP, some clinical hours had to be completed as far, uh, you know, to, to complete the actual clinical doctorate and not really knowing how I wanted to gear that and kind of, for lack of a better term, whining a lot about that. Um, my advisor talked to me and said, hey, 
you said you had a real interest in cardiology. I said, yes. And she said, I, I have a potential offer for you. We could complete those clinical hours in your DNP in the primary care or acute care um, adult geri nurse practitioner tract, and you could practice cardiology when you came out, or you could just you know, continue to do your anesthesia, whichever you want to do. Well, the rest is history. I completed that program, never regretted it. Um, and when I, uh, let's see, I finished that program about two years before I actually finished the doctoral degree. So I was able to start working as an NP, uh, fell into a cardiology position in the same hospital that I started out as a new grad, working with the same cardiologist that I worked with as a new grad. And uh, that's where I am to this day. So um, can't praise Case Western enough uh, for their, their great uh, program. And of course, the wonderful people that I met, which Dr. Stewart is one of those people, <laughs> um, but uh, gave me a great option. Now, to this day, I still do cardiology full-time, but I also do anesthesia as a locum on the side. So I'm able to still practice my skills. And I do miss those skills at times, but I'm a little torn between the two specialties because I do enjoy both. So. Uh, that's kind of my story, as quick as I can tell it. It's around Robin Hood's barn to get where I'm at today. <laughs> but uh, I guess if nothing else, it goes to show that uh, you're never too old to go back as a nurse to to diversify yourself. Sure. Well, when I when I listened to this story, you really did go full circle. I mean, starting you know with that cardiologist and in that area at that hospital. Um, but what I love when I listen to it is that you earned an associate's degree in nursing. You went back and earned a bachelor's degree in nursing. You earned a, an anesthesia certificate in nursing and then went on to get your master's degree because at the time that you did it, um, you know, right now we all think of um, anesthesia um, as a graduate program and at the time it wasn't, but then you still fulfilled that master's. You checked that box of a master's in nursing and then went on to earn your doctor of nursing practice, which is the clinical degree, like we said. Um, and while you were doing that, earned an additional advanced practice nursing certificate <laughs> with yeah. that focus on adult gero primary care. So what I love about this story, Dr. Wyant, is it goes to show that there's really, I mean, unlimited opportunities in nursing. You know, as you said, you could have 25 years of experience, you know, really owning your own practice and having all of that, um, you know, all of the responsibility that comes with, you know, management and leadership in addition to your practice and still learn something new and take on something new, yep. um, which I really admire that. Um, it, that's what drew me to nursing in the first place was the, the um, we were kind of chatting before the nebulous opportunities out there for nurses, whether that's staff nursing, there's so many different clinical areas to work as a staff nurse, as a nurse specialist, you can go on and even in the graduate degrees, there's so many different realms from administration to advanced clinical degrees to, you know, there's just so many ways to go. And I just, I just see it exploding more and more all the time. Right. Oh, I agree. I would like to talk for a minute about um, your role currently as a cardiovascular nurse practitioner. So just to clarify, um, and we've talked in this podcast before about, you know, the graduate nursing specialties. And so, you know, we've said there are certified nurse midwives, certified registered nurse anesthetists, clinical nurse specialists, and nurse practitioners. And so Dr. Wyant, you are an adult gero primary care nurse practitioner, but then you went on to um, identify a specialty that made you a cardiovascular nurse practitioner. Can you describe what, what that process meant for you? Like the extra certification? So what that, what it meant for me or what I had to do to- What earn? you did and what you did so, and how it translates into your work now. 
really what you my uh, and I'm I'm not aware of any other certification process for cardiovascular NPs. I, I went through a lot of things and actually I was kind of guided by the other NP in our practice. She and I were actually intensive care unit nurses together back in the 80s. And when I came, <laughs> when I came back to work with this cardiologist, she was also working with him. Um, so she kind of she had already been through the process and she kind of guided me towards it. But um, there aren't, or to this date, as far as I know, there aren't other certification options for uh, advanced practice cardiovascular, minus the American Board of Cardiovascular Medicine. Um, what you have to have is a certain number of hours, and I want, or hours or years, I've kind of forgotten now. I believe you have to have at least two years of practice before you can sit for the exam, or that's what they suggest anyways. And then I actually took a review course um, to kind of buff up my knowledge base a little bit because I, I don't think there's many cardiovascular practices that practice every aspect of cardiology. There's electrophysiology, there's an interventional cardiology, there's medical cardiology, there's, you know, cardiothoracic surgical based cardiology, there's all different areas. So ours is basically a medical and electrophys type practice. So I wanted to kind of beef up those other areas. So I did a review course offered through the American Board of Cardiovascular Medicine and then sat for their exam, which I have to admit, <laughs> I think the only exam that was much more uh, difficult was my anesthesia board exam. Um, and I, again, not belaying my age, but that was a paper and pencil exam back then. So um, it's, it's been a while back. But the, the ABCM board for CVNP, which is the Credential Cardiovascular Nurse Practitioner uh, Board Certified, um, was very, very intense. And it, it took every bit of the four hours <laughs> that was granted to you to take it. And the interesting thing was I thought, oh my gosh, I'm behind. And I'd look up and the room was still full. And I thought, okay, I'm not behind. And, and we all went right to the wire. And we weren't new practitioners. That's the thing. We were experienced practitioners, but wow. It was a rough exam, but anyways, um, so that was, and then uh, you had to wait a week or two before you got the results from that back. And um, it was kind of a tough course, but um, <clears throat> you have to maintain, um, uh, let's see, 30 hours of continuing education every four years. So it's not a huge burden as far as CE. You have to maintain a practice content and then the, uh, the CE, and it has to be all cardiac, obviously, in nature that your CE is. So that's been one of the rough things with me is maintaining my CRNA certification, which is 60 hours of class A, 40 hours of class B or additional class A, and then four modules, uh, one in airway, one in pathophysiology, one in pharmacology, and one in anesthetic techniques. That has to be done every four years for anesthesia. The AANP certification for NP is every five years, and that's 100 hours of CE, 25 of which are farm. Uh, and then the CBMP on top of that. So I'm constantly looking for options for CE credit. That, that's one of the downsides to having <laughs> multiple specialties, so. Right. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so if you're listening to this and you're thinking that, um, you know, as soon as you're in school, you're done learning or you're done taking tests, we've definitely proven that wrong this evening. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think for good reason. You know, when I think about how fast the environments that we practice in evolve, right? and how quickly we learn new things, new technologies, you know, our understanding of disease and treatment and intervention evolves so quickly that if we didn't do these things, we'd be way behind and we wouldn't provide the care our patients really deserve. So, although okay. I, I can certainly appreciate the burden and especially of maintaining all of those certifications. Yeah, so, it's but it's worth it because I, I enjoy learning. I enjoy 
I enjoy being in the classroom. I'm kind of a classroom person. I, mm -hmm. I'm not a great online person, although I teach a little bit of online as well. But I, I enjoy being around the classroom with other people and sharing ideas and knowledge. So. Sure. Well, I think that collaboration is invaluable. And it also makes me think about how, um, you know, you talked about your, your current partner and your job. Um, is someone that you worked with as a, as a new nurse. Um, and I think about, even though nursing is such a huge profession, right, that we are represented so largely across the country, but it's also a small community. You know, you also can build networks. And when I think about you saying you value being in the classroom, I mean, we were in the classroom together, um, you know, several years ago and, and had the opportunity to get to know each other. But I think um, that might be one of the take-home points for people who are listening is never underestimate the value of building a good network around yourself you know, in, in building that support. And I think the classroom certainly provides that opportunity. And actually that's what landed me my nurse practitioner job was knowing my, my NP colleague in the office 30 years ago, um, keeping up those, you know, we, we've known each other through ACLS and various other programs that we've done through the years. And mm -hmm. so we stayed in contact, but that networking that was set up in 19, gosh, what, 88 maybe? Um, proved to be of great value to me in 2016. <laughs> so you're right, that networking is a huge opportunity to, you know, get out there and, and find out what there is and what can be done. Right. So um, if you don't mind, could you just describe, and I know there's no such thing as a typical day, but could you just describe maybe a typical day or a typical week in your current role as a cardiovascular nurse practitioner, please? Sure. What I usually do, um, I work four nine-hour days is what I do through the week and my uh, NP partner does as well. So I am in the office Tuesday through Friday. She is in the office Monday through Thursday. So we kind of toggle the days off there so that the doc is not left with, with you know, the office by himself. Um, now, my practice was a little different. We actually had two practices at where I am practicing now, um, another cardiology office, quote unquote, across the street and then our, our business. And in our business, the three of us all had our own caseload of patients. So I have patients that I've seen for five years and routinely I follow them up and uh, follow their cases and all. If I have a problem or a concern, of course, I consult my collaborating doc and say, you know, I got this issue. I'm not comfortable with this ejection fraction. I've got them on all these meds and I'm not seeing any improvement. What, what do you, you know, what do you suggest? What, where do we need to go from here? because I think they need your level of care now. And we had a wonderful working relationship that way. The other group uses their NPs a little bit differently. They actually always make rounds with the cardiologist. Um, they may go in and see a patient and then the cardiologist will come in the last few minutes and kind of wrap everything up. That was never the case in my practice. We had our own independent practices basically within the practice. And uh, Doc did not want to see our patients routinely. If he had a follow-up that he wanted us to see, he would pack it onto our schedule. If we had somebody that we felt he needed to see, we would put it on his schedule. So we shared the patients, but yet we all followed our own, own groups. So there's different ways, I think, that you'll see NPs utilized in that aspect. Now, I have some friends who are EP, electrophysiology NPs, and they practice mostly hospital-based. Although they are not acute care NPs, they practice in the hospital mostly for EP issues, pacemakers, arrhythmias, whatever. So they're intimately involved with one doc at a time. They each are with one doc only and they, they follow together the EP patients. So they may see the doc one time, the next appointment is with the NP, the next time it's with the doc, and they toggle back and forth. 
So a lot of different ways to do that. But anyways, in our practice, I go in at eight o'clock, I ready all my charts and I usually see anywhere from on a very slow day, uh, maybe eight patients on a busy day, about 15 patients. Um, I usually see <clears throat> patients about every 15 to 20 minutes around the clock. And I usually have a little bit of time in between the hour break to kind of catch up on some of the charts. But unfortunately, charting a lot of times gets left for the end of the day because you have to keep moving on to each, you know, the nurse has the next patient room by the time I get out of that room and I just have to keep moving. Um, we do have certain days that we do hospital rounding. Uh, if we have patients from our practice who are admitted to the hospital, we follow them routinely. So it's kind of a nice mix between hospital practice and office practice. Um, if patients have procedures, um, we don't assist in any of the procedures. Obviously, the cath lab takes care of all those things and the intervention lab. But we do follow the patients in the hospital after the procedures, and then we follow up uh, in the office as well. Um, my day goes from 8 a.m. to about 5 p.m. I take about an hour break for lunch in the middle, at which time I'm trying to chart the morning patients and get them all done. Right. Um, and then I kind of have about an hour in the afternoon. I stop seeing patients at 3.30 or 4 so I can catch up the last hour trying to get the charting done. Um, my job involves assessing the cardiac status of the patients, obviously, um, ordering stress tests, echoes, heart caths, whatever I feel is necessary diagnostically. Um, and that varies, uh, you know, I have adult patients, obviously, most of the cardiac issues, I would say the majority of my patients are 60 plus. Uh, as far as age, and that that crushes me because I'm at that doorway myself. So I think, wow, I see a 60-year-old, and I think, wow, they're young. <laughs> but um, the adult Gero credential does go down to the level of uh, adolescence if you want to treat that low, and I don't because I don't feel comfortable doing that. So, sure. um, but at any rate, um, that's pretty much how my week goes. And then again, depending on if Kristen and I are both there, we kind of take turns at doing the hospital rounds if anybody is in the hospital, so. Mm -hmm. I was curious how the hospital rounds figured into your day full of patients. So you yeah. do both at the same time. You could be seeing patients in clinic and also responsible for rounding at the hospital? Yes, uh, yes and no. I prefer to not have hospital or not have uh, office patients when I have hospital rounds, but mm -hmm. It kind of depends on what's on the, you know, sometimes the ladies in our office will come to me and say, hey, I got to put somebody on on Friday. I'm sorry. I, it, they have a 48 hour urgent follow up from the ER. We've got to get them in. And OK, so um, I kind of cut Friday off with with the maximum of four patients. If I have, you know, eight patients in the hospital, I've got to get over there because people want dismissed if they're <laughs> post intervention. They're sitting there going, Where, where's the guy that's going to send me home? Uh, so they get a little bit antsy about doing that. So. I prefer to do just hospital or just clinic, but yeah, it does happen that it happens on the same day. <laughs> sure. Oh, that makes sense. Well, I think this role sounds, you know, really interesting. I remember the, I remember the time that you told me, I, I knew you as a CRNA and I remember the time you told me, I'm really burned out of being a CRNA and ready to make this transition. I'm, I'm going to pursue also a clinical specialty as a nurse practitioner. And I remember really admiring that and thinking that you were brave and also being really grateful that I wasn't in your shoes <laughs> of um, taking on all of that extra work. But I think it just goes to show, you know, I imagine these, you know, patients and families that you're working with now um, and the excellent care that they're getting and your dedication to this specialty um, and to this population of patients when you're in a better space, you know, when you're not feeling so burned out. Right. 
and I, I have to, I do have to say, I miss the anesthesia full time. I, now that I'm out of it, I've had a chance to rest my mind about it. I'm not doing all the administrative things, you know, that, that made a huge difference. I, I, you know, each, each patient population brings its own challenges and its own rewards with it. I, anesthesia is relatively rapidly uh, moving all the time. You know, you, you arrive early. I used to get at the hospital at 530 in the morning to get my room ready for the anesthetics. And you have to test the gas machine and make sure that the blue line is carrying nitrous oxide and the green line is carrying oxygen. And you analyze all those things, set everything up before you ever start with the patient. So there's at least an hour worth of work before, you know, you get the patients in the room. Then you do the anesthetics all day long. You're one-on-one -on -one with the patient. You get them to recovery room. You get them stable there and you're back and you start all over again. So you do that five to 10 times a day and then you're done. There isn't the charting aspect to take home. We do keep records, obviously, but it's, it's done basically when the anesthetic is done, you know. Um, and, and the rewards to that are you see the patient usually preoperatively and you're that one mainstay through the surgical process. They have one person that they know that the nursing staff changes, you know, the surgeon isn't there. They never hardly see the surgeon because uh, they just come in and say hello in the morning and they're gone. And so, you know, uh, Joe's grandmother could have done the surgery for all they know because <laughs> they don't see them, but it's, it's rapidly moving and it's short term. Mm -hmm. The opportunity in the office that you don't have anesthetically is you get to develop a relationship with the patients. And sometimes that is a wonderful thing. Sometimes it's a little burdening because you get into things that you don't always want to get into aspect wise with that too. Um, I won't kid you, there are days that I go home and I think, why did I choose to work with awake patients instead of asleep ones? Because sometimes <laughs> some of the things you get into, as you well know, <laughs> um, it can be kind of rough at times too. But again, there's, there's different rewards and different uh, issues with both of them. And I, I enjoy both of them. There's a huge amount of cardiac involved with anesthesia as well. So they're not really mutually exclusive at all. They're pretty complementary to one another. Um, you know, in anesthesia, if your heart rate goes up, I bring it down. If your heart rate goes down, I bring it up. I manipulate your blood pressure so you don't bleed so much. I, it's a constant process. It's not give them the drugs, sit there and read the newspaper until the surgeon's done and wake them up. I mean, it's a, a constant titration. And um, so it, they're very closely linked, mm -hmm. cardiology and anesthesia. So. Sure. Yeah, I can imagine what a nice compliment those practices are to each other. Um, and I appreciate you kind of explaining the pros and cons of each of those roles, Jim, because I do think it's a lot to think about, you know, um, if you were to give um, advice to nurses, you know, maybe a nursing school or new graduate nurses um, of everything that you've learned, and perhaps it's related to recognizing that burnout and making a change or building your network, whatever it is, what, what pearl would you share with newer nurses or nursing students? I think the number one pearl I could share probably a lot, as you can tell, um, I, I don't enjoy not talking, um, but um, I think the number one thing is don't ever think you can quit learning or need to quit learning. The minute, I, I mean, I had, when I graduated from my anesthesia program, our director took us all out in the hallway and told us two things. He said, number one, don't ever think you know everything because the minute you think you know everything and you've experienced everything, you're dangerous because you're going to miss something. You're going to let something go by that was important. So don't ever think you can't tell someone, wow, I need to look that up and make sure about that because I'm not sure. Because none of us can, you know, none of us have every experience there is out there. You, you get more and more the older you get and the longer you practice. And that's merely, you know, 
a situation of getting yourself in trouble and then learning how to get yourself out successfully. And, and that only comes with experience. But number one, I think don't ever think you're too, you know, you're too far into a profession or you're too old or you're too whatever to continue learning because you shouldn't. I, that's an ongoing with our profession, like you already mentioned. Number two, I think don't ever think you can't change because I'm living proof that, you know, if you talk to some of my CRNA colleagues, the first thing they say is, what the heck did you do that for? Why would you leave anesthesia to be a nurse practitioner? What, what advantage did that give you? I mean, and, and, you know, I have to admit, anesthesia is probably one of the highest paid specialties that there is. And if you're strictly looking at money, that's what's going to get you probably the most money is usually anesthesia. Um, but that's not all I was looking for. I loved critical care and that's why I did anesthesia. So the money was, was nice along with it. But, but when you're hip deep in a massively bleeding patient and you're the, you know, the surgeon, the surgeon is doing their thing. And I, I worked in practices all except for three years of my 25 years independent CRNA practices. So we did not have anesthesiologists. Um, there is no edict that you have to have an anesthesiologist. You must work with a physician as a supervisory situation. And that's usually the surgeon, the obstetrician, a dentist, or a podiatrist, any of those can do that. Um, but you're on your own, basically, when you're in a CRNA practice. So when you're hip deep trying to save someone, you know, you're using every skill you've got. So, uh, you know, that, that kind of compensates for the money aspect there a little bit. But again, don't ever think you're too old or you're too far into change because I had just got to a point where I was not fulfilled. I wasn't happy at my, everything was just, you know, I, I'd go to work and be angry and I'd come home and I'd be angry and tired and I'd go to work the next day. And, be, and it really wasn't the job. It was everything else. It was the administrative aspects. It was just all sorts of things. Um, so don't ever think you can't change because you can and you can meld the, the things together quite well. So um, it, it, it does work out. And there's so many programs now to be able to do that in different lights, you know, accelerated degree programs and all sorts of things that are very helpful. So my last tidbit of information, I would say that I Pearl, whatever you want to say, is, I, and this is maybe not appropriate for this group, but I guess what I want to say is uh, something that an old nurse told me many, many, many years ago. And she said, the true skill in nursing, and this was as a critical care nurse, so she was trying to drive home to me the point, the true skill in critical care nursing is not running a code, not the fact that you can follow ACLS protocol, not the fact that you can defibrillate, you can put in lines, you can do all sorts of those things. She said, that's great and we need that. But she said the true skill in critical care nursing, and I think this speaks to any aspect of nursing, the true skill is seeing the problem happen two hours before it happens and heading it off before it's an issue. And that has served me well for years to, to follow and watch every single change. Hey, you know, they're, they're not nearly as awake as they were, or they're not nearly as in, as in as much pain as they were, and I did not medicate them. Something is going on with them. They're a little more tachycardic than they were. That, that's different for them. Those little subtle things that you think are not important are important. Mm -hmm. and and to a patient's life or to a patient's family, those things are, are extremely important. Um, I had a patient come up to, actually a wife of a patient come up to me probably three, four years after I'd taken care of him. And she said, I just wanted to tell you, you saved my husband's life about five years ago. And I, I didn't even know who she was. And I said, 
really, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm a little, she said, I wouldn't expect you to remember it because you see so many patients, but she said, you told us that something was happening before. And she said, you said something about changes in the EKG and you weren't comfortable with that. And you actually stopped the surgery before he went into surgery. Well, I kind of remembered it then. I, it was a patient with a new onset of a left frontal branch block, which was indicative of some significant heart disease. And um, finally, her husband came over, was in a store, and she said, this is the man that saved your life. And I still, I couldn't recognize him, but he said, um, you stopped my surgery and sent me to have a heart cath before you would do the surgery. And I had a 98% lesion in my left main coronary artery. So my widow maker would have shut down. And he said, um, you saved my life. And, you know, that was a rather humbling experience. Uh, you don't remember all the details, but you think, okay, I guess what you're doing is important. So there's little things sometimes, even though it incurred the wrath of the surgeon, what do you cancel my surgery for? You can't do that, blah, blah, blah. Um, it came in a very positive light for the patient. And that's what we're there for as a patient, so. Absolutely. Well, and I think that highlights, you know, what you just said really highlights nursing, you know, our eyes, our ears, our pattern recognition. We truly are the ones who pick up on so much of that, right? Those subtle changes are really difficult to pick up on when as a provider, you come in once or twice a day, you know, it can be missed so easily, but um, the, it's the bedside nurse who recognizes that and who can speak up and alert, you know, providers to those changes and advocate for exactly what you did. You know, it may not have been the popular decision to cancel that surgery, but your advocacy in the was in the best interest of that patient and truly saved his life. That's right. amazing, Jim. And patients do realize that. I mean, we all do those things. It's not that I'm anything special. We all do those things, but you know, uh, down to the point that you you stop a wrong medication or a wrong dose or something and it happens that's just life that's what happens um and that's what our job is like you say and that that's what drew me to nursing in the first place was being there at the bedside mm -hmm. with that patient and making those decisions that's what i wanted to do and i've never regretted that i i would never have been happy with a career in medicine and i had somebody say to me once well why'd you go on and be an advanced practice nurse and why didn't you stay at the bedside and that kind of stumped me for a minute and i thought well that's a valid point. I guess it looks like I really didn't like nursing that well, but that, that's not the case. Nursing is, again, back to the <clears throat> so nebulous. You can practice in so many settings and it's such a difference that I, I just, I wouldn't have been happy with anything else. So, yeah. Well, I hope everybody who's listening remembers yeah. that story when you have that just, you know, maybe it's a gut feeling or maybe it's a recognition and, you know, trends of something that you're charting. I hope that you remember that story and you feel empowered to you know, say something and speak up and, and alert people to even the most subtle of changes, because I think that that can make all the difference for our patients and their families. Definitely. But Dr. Wine, I am so grateful for your time today. I loved hearing about this change of trajectories that you took. Um, we said before, you know, the most overused word of the year, but the pivot that you had and when you recognized, you know, that you were burning out and struggling. Um, and I'm just so grateful for your time today. Well, thank you, Dr. Schrute. I appreciated it. It was very enjoyable to talk to everybody and good luck with everything out there. Just remember, you're there for the patients. You're there for yourself. Take care of yourself and take care of your patients. So good job. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Night and Tales. As you do, we encourage you to consider the unique nature of each person's journey through this profession. The views shared on this podcast are those of an individual, not the academic institution that they graduated from 
their employer, or the professional organization that they're active in. The stories of their career path and progression are not intended to suggest that there is a uniform approach to achieving similar accomplishments, but to open your mind to all that is available to you. Each journey in nursing is as unique as each individual that we serve. We hope you'll listen again next time.